Red 6, this is Blue Actual. Do you copy over? Roger, Blue Actual. Red 6 copies. Red 6, bring up your platoon to the line. Roger, Blue Actual. We're on the move. Welcome, my friends, to the View from the Front podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine, an author, and a guy who spent more than 10 years in the news business. Every week, I primarily do three things. Cover emerging hotspots and foreign policy news that you absolutely should know. Work to unite our country and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America. And finally, I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode. This podcast comes out every Thursday, so make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. And if you love the show, you can always help sustain and support the show for $5 per month. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the Thursday, June 15th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. The show's going to be a little bit shorter today, and I'll explain why when we cover the Ukraine counteroffensive in just a bit, but we are really glad to have you here, and I'm looking forward to sharing all the latest news that you probably haven't seen in the news. I need to begin today's episode with one administrative note. There will not be a podcast next week as I'll be on vacation, but I plan to continue to provide newsletter updates as big news breaks, so make sure you're signed up at my substack, stanormitchell.substack.com, if you haven't already. I have been doing quite a few updates as news has broken, as my regular readers know, but this next week we are taking the 14-year-old baseball nut. As I've said before, my stepson Jacob loves baseball, plays recreational baseball, plays travel baseball. He's going to be hopefully on the high school team here in a few months. He's doing summer workouts, but he loves baseball. So we're taking him up to Wrigley Field where his favorite team, the Cubs, plays. And he's never been there, so he's super excited. And then we're going to uh, hit the beach. But So I will not be having a podcast next week, but I will do updates for you guys. Let's get to the news. In the war between Russia and Ukraine, I wanted to give you the absolute latest news in that regard. So I'm recording this on Thursday morning at 9 a.m. And there was literally a breaking news story in Reuters that stated that so far Ukraine has retaken 100 square kilometers or 38 square miles of territory in its counteroffensive against Russian forces. We've talked about this in previous newsletters. There has been heavy fighting as they have been breaking through these very strongly defended lines of the Russians. And it's the initial fighting that will always be the heaviest. And so Ukraine has taken some casualties. They have lost some vehicles. But we covered in a previous newsletter that all Western advisors and generals have said that anytime you're breaking through these lines, it's going to be very difficult at first. As I talked about in previous podcasts, Russia's forces are stretched out along a 600-mile line, and so there are very few Russian reserves. So this initial fighting will be the most difficult part for the Ukrainians. But again, I want to reiterate, they have started to break through the initial lines, and they've retaken seven settlements, none of the names of which you would recognize, and these are all in two primary areas. The first area is in the eastern region of the Donbass 
in near Donetsk, near Bakhmut. We've talked about those areas, so they're making a little bit of progress there. Again, just a couple of weeks ago, Russia bragged and had a big celebration that they had taken Bakhmut, and already, as I suggested and predicted, Ukraine is beginning to retake that territory around Bakhmut. The other major area where the fighting is occurring is in the southern region of occupied Ukraine. You have probably seen this city's name in the news. It is the southern region of Zaporizhia. Ukraine is attempting to break through that southern part so that they can drive a wedge between Russian forces and break the land bridge. This is something we've talked about a lot in the previous months. So that's what Ukraine is attempting to do at this time. And as I said, they have broke through some of the initial lines, although some analysts say some of the deeper lines have not been penetrated yet. On the one hand, there's much to celebrate. And on the other, it's like this is but a small taste of what's to come. I've got in the Substack notes some updated images from WarMapper. That's a website that tracks some of the advances, and these have been confirmed with another website that provides updated maps. And you can see the names of the settlements. You can see the arrows and the advances that Ukraine has made into these lines. So again, they've taken 100 square kilometers or 38 square miles. They've taken seven settlements, and they're beginning to make this advance into Russian lines. Having said that, again, like I said, there's much to celebrate and there's like a feeling of anticipation that this is just the smallest taste of what's to come. And let me explain what I mean by that. The Washington Post had a great article, the headline of which sums up what I'm saying. The headline was, as Ukraine's counteroffensive heats up, Washington holds its breath. The article lays out that both Ukraine and all of the leaders in Washington, including President Biden, are hoping that Ukraine can rapidly retake a lot of strategically significant territory. And as the article says, anything less, quote, will present the United States and its allies with uncomfortable questions they are not yet prepared to answer. The article then quotes... Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who was talking with reporters last week and who said that, you know, with this year's flow of billions of dollars worth of advanced Western weaponry, that, quote, everybody's hopeful that, you know, you'd see overwhelming success. And again, that's quoting Lloyd Austin. And then he added a note of caution that people need to have a realistic outlook on this. But the article does lay out that the stakes are high for President Biden as he's going into next year's re-election campaign. The article states that President Biden needs a major battlefield victory to show that his unqualified support for Ukraine has burnished U.S. global leadership, reinvigorated a strong foreign policy with bipartisan support, and demonstrated the prudent use of American strength abroad. Now, I will say that there's a little bit of editorial comment in that article because the article says President Biden had unqualified support for Ukraine, as I just read. There are many supporters of Ukraine who would say that has not been unqualified, that we have been a little slow to lead 
in sending tanks. We've been slow to send F-16s. And so, really, it's been more Great Britain that has really been pushing some of this. But I do try to give President Biden plenty of credit because we have strongly supported Ukraine. But I think we could have been stronger. There were times where we were worried about Russia's red lines, or I should say Putin's red lines, and all of those have proven false. But maybe even though we're a little late in the game, we have pretty strongly supported Ukraine. And so there is a lot riding on this for President Biden as far as how this Ukrainian counteroffensive goes. And it's not just the stakes are high for President Biden. I think everyone would agree the stakes are high for Ukraine and for the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. To date, more than 50 countries have sent aid to Ukraine in what was this unprovoked war that was started by Russia more than a year ago. In the Substack notes, I've got the latest news from Japan that they are even talking about sending artillery shells to the U.S., which would then be transferred to Ukraine because there have been some artillery shortages. This is part of a 2016 pact that the U.S. has with Japan that they would share ammunition as part of a long-standing security alliance. I have talked about in previous episodes that Japan is increasingly preparing to defend itself from the growing aggression out of China, and I think Japan sees supporting Ukraine as just another step in trying to stop these type of global expansionist ideas by countries such as Russia and Ukraine. But back to the point, the U.S. announced two aid packages in the last two weeks. The United Kingdom has announced a package. Germany has talked about replacing damaged Leopard tanks up to 100. And again, I just mentioned Japan, and I'm sure there are other countries that I am missing in there. But all of this is truly a beautiful thing, that the world has rallied to help protect a much smaller country that has been just brutally attacked and invaded and ravaged by a much larger country that has committed unbelievable amounts of war crimes against civilians, against soldiers, against kids. And so this is just a beautiful thing, but it is a test. And we have to be clear about that. It is definitely a test of can the world rally to stop Russia? Can the world rally to stop China? These are big questions, and they are being decided, unfortunately, in the hands of just a few people. As war always is, whether it's the U.S. fighting somewhere, it's a very small number that have to pay the price on the front line or even in a deployment area, and in this case, it is just a very small number of Ukrainian troops who are carrying the load of the world as they try to stop Russian aggression. As I said earlier, the big counteroffensive has not been launched yet. Almost all analysts are saying that you will know when it happens when you see literally hundreds of Ukrainian tanks busting through one of the lines. Again, I've shared a lot in the previous newsletters in the past two weeks. If you watch those attacks and some of the videos I've shared, they're very small. One of them showed three Humvees moving forward and like a platoon of troops. That is a very small unit. A platoon's like 30 men. You can see about 20 in that attack. In the footage we showed a week ago, 
that Russia was bragging about how many Ukrainian vehicles they had disabled. There were only a few tanks in that, 6-8, something like that. All of the analysts are saying, until you see a massive attack by Ukraine, you really won't know how this is going to truly work. So, again, Ukraine is holding its breath. The United States is holding its breath. The world is holding its breath. Interestingly, even though limited land has been taken to date, even though these have been very small probing attacks, major successes truly are occurring. And I've got a video in the Substack notes that is just incredible and definitely worth watching. But on the off chance you can't watch it, let me just explain it. There's a Ukrainian drone watching an open field. And the summary of this video is that Ukraine takes out five self-propelled howitzers of Russia. Now these self-propelled howitzers, these are basically, they look like tanks, but they're actually artillery. But self-propelled howitzers are tanks that drive into a field, they raise up their big artillery barrels, they fire usually six to eight rounds a minute, and then they drive off very quickly. And they're very hard to target because if you're using radar and counter-battery fire, you figure out what was the attack angle of those rounds, you move your artillery to fire back at what fired at you, and by the time you do, these rounds, of course, are going about 15 miles. By the time you do fire back, those Russian tanks have already moved. The U.S. has been doing that a lot with its high Mars, with those multiple launch rocket systems. We'll fire them. Before they even land, we are up and moving. There's almost no way to destroy these things, but... I assume it was because of some probing action. Russia had to move five of their of their self-propelled artillery pieces. These are called MSTAS, and I've got some information about them in the Substack notes. About a photo of what they look like. Again, they fire six to eight rounds a minute. They fire up to about 15 miles on their range. They're 152 millimeter. And again, I've got in the Substack notes even a photo of what they look like because the ones in the video are in the woods. But you can watch as these vehicles move to try to counter a, I presume, Ukrainian probing attack. They are targeted, and they initially get three, and then later in the day, it's a little darker in the video, two more Russian ones come in the same field to fire so that they could engage the Ukrainians. Those two are destroyed as well. This is a huge loss for Russia. They don't have a ton of these self-propelled howitzers. Much of their artillery is just like U.S. artillery. It's towed behind trucks. You have to park it. You have to unhook it. You have to spin it around. You know, it takes about two to three minutes to deploy most artillery to expand out its structural legs, to get it loaded, to fire, and then you've got to rehook it up to the truck. It's another two to three minutes, whereas these tanks can drive out fire their artillery, and leave. But there is literally video of Russia losing five of them in one day. So big things are happening that we're not even fully aware of. There's also some video out there, I didn't put this in the Substack notes, of Ukrainian, I apologize, of Russian headquarter units being hit. So they've been watching where some of these Russian commanders are, are at, and they're using some of the newer long-range munitions that have been provided from Great Britain. Those are the Storm Shadow missiles, and they are hitting targets that Russia has never had hit before. So there are things happening that we can't see yet, but the big counteroffensive 
has not happened to date, and that's why the entire world is a little anxious. Let's be real. Just to piggyback on that point, I'm sharing in the Substack notes a video from a Ukrainian commander who's been fighting, and he dispels several myths about the counteroffensive, and it's worth the watch if you have a couple minutes, but I'll just address a couple or so of them. One, he talks about that the Russians continue to completely magnify and over-exaggerate the number of losses that the Ukrainians have. And for instance, in that little tank battle, he mentions only five died. That's a number that I've seen several places. So the Western armored personnel carriers and tanks seem to be saving Ukrainian lives even when they are destroyed. These tanks have systems that protect the crew from exploding ammo. They have systems inside of them that put fires out. So a lot of times the crew safety is a big deal in Western equipment so that you can reuse that same crew in a different tank. And they have additional experience because they've learned valuable lessons in the combat. But he mentions that only five Ukrainians died in this one much-talked-about battle. He addresses the point that some critics of Western aid who have said, which is that, you know, you need to end the war. He specifically addresses the entire argument. You will sometimes see that this is a meat grinder, that Ukraine is just throwing troops at these Western defenses, trying to wear them down. And he talks about how he is one of the commanders in his unit, and how every day he is at the front. Every day he is one of, in one of the lead tanks, and how Ukrainian leaders are actually leading from the front. Unlike the Russians, that this is not some kind of meat grinder. This is Ukrainian forces trying to proceed in a way that minimizes the loss of life, while also retaking the land that is theirs, that is being destroyed by the Russians as they continue to attack various pieces of infrastructure, such as the dam that they blew up a week ago. So it's a great video to watch because sometimes you just cannot get the kind of emotion across as someone who's been on the front line, who has very little sleep, who has seen friends fall around them. Men like that know the price of freedom, they know what they're fighting for, and they get very angry when they see Western allies such as those of us in America who are a little impatient. Why aren't they fighting faster or harder? When you say that to someone who's on the front line, that's very insulting. But it's a great little video to watch if you have just a moment. As I said earlier, no one believes the truly all-out effort by Ukraine on the counteroffensive has begun. So make sure you sign up because when this happens in the coming days, which I believe it will, I will definitely be sending out updates about that offensive. But we're going to move on from that offensive to a little bit broader point for just a moment. I want to cover just two pieces of broader world news that you need to know about in case you haven't seen it. The first one is that there is a senior Republican in the United States on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee who has blocked the sale of $735 million worth of ammunition to HIMARS systems, those multiple launch rocket systems, to Hungary. And that's because Hungary is partially helping block Sweden from joining NATO. And so this friction has been growing for a while. Obviously, NATO wants Sweden to be able to fully join. And Hungary is one of the countries, along with Turkey, that's holding that up. So 
the Republicans that want this to happen are beginning to take a little bit stronger measure. I've got a link to that story in the Substack notes if you want to read about it and get into the weeds. But the short of it is, any country that's trying to prevent Sweden from joining NATO will increasingly start to feel some pressure from other European countries. And obviously the U.S. is a part of that that's trying to get Sweden into NATO so that NATO will be strengthened. The other thing that I did want to briefly discuss is that the United States Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is traveling to China next week. I've talked about a lot in the past couple of months about the lack of communication between China and the United States, that every time we have two ships near each other or two aircraft near each other, there's very little communication and there are lots of opportunities for really bad things to happen. So the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken's traveling to China. He's going to meet with some of the Beijing's senior officials. I think it was two weeks ago I mentioned that Beijing won't even allow us to meet with the head of their defense because he is under sanctions, and so there's been a little bit of a snub toward our Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, and I would assume there's probably a hidden snub here that they won't even have their head of state meet with Secretary of State Antony Blinken, but at least Secretary of State Blinken is meeting with some of their officials. The stated goal of that visit is literally the importance of maintaining open lines of communication to responsibly manage the relationship between the two countries. Now, even with me being a little tough on the situation, I guess is a fair way to say it, this is the first Secretary of State visit to China in five years. It's the first cabinet-level official to visit China in four years, so this is a pretty big deal, and I'm hoping that some good will come of it. All right, guys, I've got to wrap this episode up. Unfortunately, there's not time to get into the motivation and wisdom section. I've been pressed for time this week because I have been putting out some daily updates, and I've also actually some good news in the writing world. I am wrapping up the last edits of Ukrainian Fire, the fifth book in the Nick Wood series. I will be dropping that probably in a couple of weeks after my vacation, so I'm super excited about that. But again, if you have not sub- signed up to the Substack, just go to stanrmitchell.substack.com. I will be putting out more updates as things break. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. Hope you guys have a great week. I will catch you guys soon.